0: It is my privilege once again to introduce our speaker, Dr. LeCilla George. If you were here last night, uh, I know you are like me and so excited to hear her teach us once again. If you were not here last night, please go and listen to the first session on biblical womanhood. There is so much bad information on what a woman is both from the world and also from some bad teaching and lisa takes us through scripture and tells us what scripture says and also doesn't say about being a biblical woman and also if you were not here last night her bio is in our event booklet i'm not gonna go back through it again Uh, she is so accomplished please read it and gifted but I'm not going to say any more because I'm a little nervous I'm sounding like a crazy stalker fan and I am not. Although I may have worn the closest thing I own to nurse shoes. Let's welcome Lisa together.
1: Those heels are still something to behold. Oh my goodness, it's such, it's such a joy to be with you. It's been so fun meeting some of you. Um, how many Californians are in the room? Whoa. Thank you for being honest enough to display your weakness in front of your fellow church members. Um, I know that's a touchy subject in Texas these days. I'm always glad when they give me a rental car that doesn't have Texas or doesn't have uh, California plates on it. I get a little nervous. I'm like, not not quite sure. Um, just a, a, a greeting to you. Uh, two greetings, actually. I was asked to bring my pastors at Grace Baptist Church in Santa Clarita love your pastor and his family and the Bigelow's and others who are here, and they asked me to extend the greetings from the folks at Grace Baptist Church. So I know some of you in the audience actually attended that church at some point before you made the exodus, and uh, so (laughs) we miss you. Uh, Secondly, I was out on Thursday and Friday with our staff at Children's Hunger Fund And the staff asked if I would bring their greetings and their thanks and love to you. And they wanted me to tell you that on January 13th, it's on your church calendar, you're going to be doing another mobile food pack here at the church. And so they said, put it on your calendars, let them know there's another opportunity to serve with Children's Hunger Fund. So we are really grateful for the way that you as a church have stepped in and helped CHF take the resources that you provide to actually get them to other churches here in the DFW area and around the world. And so we're so thankful for your partnership with Children's Hunger Fund as we help churches um, in, in now 31 countries, including where some of your missionaries serve. It was, it was fun to look at the missionary boards out here and see friends and former students on that board. Um, And so Children's Hunger Fund is serving with a couple of those, and we're really grateful to see your partnership really go out with us as well. So, so thankful for that. If you're ever in California, come see us at headquarters. Come see Poverty Encounter. And uh, you're the first people to know publicly that just two days ago, Children's Hunger Fund was able to purchase a piece of property and prosper. So we'll be building, Lord willing, if the creek don't rise, as they say, uh, we're going to be building another distribution center here that we will actually own and a poverty encounter experience so that young people from around uh, this region can actually see what poverty looks like around the world as well as here at home. And so that, Lord willing, will be coming soon um, to a metropolitan area near you. So that's uh, one more piece of, one more piece of uh, housekeeping here before we dive in to our topic this morning. Several of you asked me last night about specific resources of something that I had said. Um, let me give you an easy way to find some of those resources as well as to contact me if I don't give you the answers that you want. Um, so I do have a blog. I blog about every other week at this point because I am working on a book on singleness. Um, But the blog is just lisalageorge.com. And so there's a section uh, at the top that has downloadable resources for some book studies that I've done. Um, And then, or book discussions like book club books. Uh, But then also, if you click on resources over on the right-hand side, it'll take you to blogs that would have lists of books regarding, regarding missions, um, or uh, John Newton, I love John Newton um, I can't get off there um, so <clears throat> so some some resources regarding Christian biographies and uh, different people that have influenced me over the years uh, if you're looking for good children 's books on missions or books even related to forgiveness and peacemaking the topics we're going to be talking about today, Those are available there. If you can't find what you're looking for, there's a contact link, and you can just email me through that contact link there at at, um, lisalageorge.com. So with that, we're going to dive in. I remembered my glasses today, so that's a really good thing. It's hard to get old to the young people in here. You know, it's hard to remember to pick up your glasses when it's uh, when it's time because you haven't always worn them, right? So I, I remembered them today, so I'll actually be reading the words of the Lord instead of re- trying to remember what the page says in front of me. <laughs> oh my! <clears throat> Let us go to the Word, uh, to the Lord in prayer before we open His Word. Father, this topic before us is one. Mm-hmm. that will touch every heart in this room, Lord, as conflict touches every life. Even as we read the, the headlines today, Lord, we recognize that conflict is such uh, an evil thing, whether it's a war uh, or a genocide or words of gossip that, that we perpetrate against one another. Lord, that conflict doesn't honor you, and so we as your children want, Lord, to honor you more than anything, so we ask that you would just give us grace as we walk through these principles from your word. Thank you for not leaving us floundering and not knowing what to do, Lord, but thank you for for equipping us to be able to engage with people in a way that honors you, and so, Lord, as thoughts come to mind, as convictions come to to the hearts in this room, Lord, we ask that you would work, that you would comfort, and that you would guide. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. So our topic this weekend, our focus has been, what does biblical womanhood look like? Putting Christ on display putting Christ on display, and yesterday we talked about what does it actually mean to be a woman who honors the Lord in being a woman. It's not how you look, how many pieces of jewelry you have on, how good of a cook you are, right? It's recognizing that the Lord has created you in order to put him on display to a watching world whether that's in the church, in the family, and in society. And so what we're looking at today is something that brings it even closer to our hearts as we engage with one another, right? We talked about honoring Christ and being drawn and called into community. What does that look like as community starts to rub, right? Whether that's in your family, It's in your workplace. It's in the church. We all have situations in our lives that are not easy in engaging with people. Let me tell you a story about uh, one of my friends' kids, or or one of my friends and her kids. Uh, She had two two children, uh, Sarah and Sammy. They're sisters two years apart. Sarah is the older sister. She was five years old. And Sammy is best described as a spitfire. And their father walked into their bedroom one day and found them facing off. The older sister, with her hands clasped in front of her like the prim little girl that she was, gently admonishing her little sister, who was standing with her arms akimbo. And she said, Sammy, when you crawl into my bed when I'm sleeping... And you do this to my eyes (laughs) to wake me up. Sometimes it hurts. Can you be more gentle when you wake me up? Every single one of us can think of a poke in the eye that we have received from another member of the body of Christ or from a family member. What's your poke in the eye? As we go through the next session, uh, couple couple of hours together, and we talk about this issue of peacemaking, what situations are going are you going to be thinking through and asking how would the Lord have me respond more biblically to that? Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's competition in the workplace. Maybe it's uh, arguing with a mom friend about. Vaccinations, or or how to discipline your children. Maybe there's somebody that got the job you wanted. Maybe it's the mean girl at school. What are the differences that have been situations of conflict? And we can think we can think of some sources of conflict, right? Um, sometimes there's natural differences. Some of you are not extroverts, right? You just, you're generally more quiet and reserved, and some of you are very outgoing and you don't understand the introverts. Three guesses what I am. (laughs) I'm actually an introvert. Um, Believe it or not, I am a closet introvert that the Lord has equipped to function differently sometimes. Um, But there's conflict that comes in that, right? Uh, one, of our, one of our offices uh, is very quiet. Our office in this state, but not here in DFW. They're very quiet. And when I come to town, they remind me that none of them are extroverts. And so I have to be very careful that I'm, I'm not creating conflict by my boisterous enthusiasm to build relationship for the sake of the gospel, Right. <laughs> So there's natural differences. Sometimes there can be rubs. There can also be misunderstandings. When I call my parents and I talk with them on the phone, I could now write a book about misunderstandings because neither of them have chosen to wear the hearing aids that they should. Right? And so sometimes they hear me say things which are very offensive to them and to me. And, and my mom is just shocked. Why would you say that? Because you're not listening. <laughs> I love you, mom, wherever the camera is. <laughs> she'll watch this eventually. But sometimes there's misunderstandings and conflict can come just from mishearing someone, depending on how that gets uh, worked out in your heart. But sometimes there's sinful attitudes that cause misunderstanding. Sinful desires. Our behavior is rooted in the thoughts and the motives of our hearts. Some of you recognize that quote from our friend uh, and brother who has gone to be with the Lord, David Paulison. Our behavior is is rooted in the thoughts and the motives of our heart. When you act when you behave in a certain way it's not because someone has forced some pressure on you and you respond and there's just something outside of you that comes that comes out no we respond we speak our actions are out of our heart and when pressure comes it's because what's inside of us is getting pressed out that conflict comes Galatians chapter 5 talks to us about the works of the flesh. And I've given you in your notes here all of these references. Hopefully you can go back and study these further. We won't look at all of them this morning. Um, But a few of these we'll pick up. Now the works of the flesh are evident. This is from Galatians chapter 5 verse 19. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you, like i warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience gentleness kindness what's going on here paul is giving illustrations of what sinful desires uh, and how they ma- what they are and how they manifest look at how many of those actually are about the engagement of people with each other look at that uh, jealousy strife fits of anger Usually, you don't have a fit of anger that's unrelated to another person, right? Usually, those fits of anger get expressed at someone. Um, Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, all of those are related to how we engage with one another. James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 also asks the question, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? that your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. James is saying you want something and you can't have it, so conflict comes. Maybe you want comfort because you fear hard work. Maybe you want pleasure because nobody likes pain. That's me in the gym, right? They used to tell me at the gym that nothing feels as good as skinny or strong. And I'm like, no. Have you eaten a good steak recently? That is much better than skinny and strong. Anyway, I fear pain and hard work, right? Maybe you want recognition and you fear being overlooked. Maybe you're looking for power, and you hate having somebody tell you what to do. Maybe it's control, because you fear unpredictability. Maybe you crave acceptance, because you've experienced rejection. All of these things can become idolatrous in our hearts when we begin to demand Recognition and power and control from other human beings. Conflict can negatively impact us. It robs us of our time. It robs us of time from family. It robs us of time that could be um, engagement with one another. It robs us from ministry time. Counseling and picking up other people's work when there's conflict takes away time from the work that gets done. Not only does it rob us of time, but conflict also breaks relationships. Families, marriages, churches are split over some of the most seemingly innocuous conflicts. The color of the carpet, right? That's the one we always, we always talk about. More often than not, it's things like who gets on the nursery rotation most often? and doesn't want to be there, or um, whether or not someone got as much attention from the pastoral staff as someone else did when it came to an issue. Relationships are broken. But what's more critical, I think, than just time and relationship is actually that conflict among us, unresolved, actually obscures the gospel. It puts a screen over the gospel. Now, let me tell you. Uh, let me show you what I mean by this. So, go to First John, chapter four. First John chapter four. We're going to start in verse nineteen. If I can get my pages apart today, there we go. Okay. So, First John four nineteen. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. We're going to keep reading here to, to verse 4. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whomever has been born of him. By this we know that we are children. We, uh, by this we know that we, we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. If we say that we love God, but we don't love each other, we actually do not show that we love God. So we are obscuring the gospel. God sent us to the world. And we know we love God by our love for each other, who we can see. So conflict negatively impacts us. It negatively impacts the church, our relationships, our time, and a watching world that we're called to demonstrate the love of God too. When we say we love God, but we don't love one another, can people really see the gospel In our lives. But here's the beauty of conflict it's an opportunity to glorify God. It's an opportunity to look upward and to glorify God, to look for what He is doing. Conflict is an opportunity to demonstrate the love of God. It's not necessarily always bad or destructive. Even when conflict is caused by sin and causes a great deal of stress, and it can actually provide significant opportunities to glorify God. Whatever you do, Paul writes, whether it's the mundane things like eating or drinking, glorify God. Recognize that that's what you do. The love of Christ compels us to make him known to the, to the watching world here's a couple of ways that conflict actually helps us. It helps us remember our need for God, that he has given his sufficient grace to us, and he has caused us to be at peace with him. A conflict also gives an opportunity to trust his promises. For Second Peter 1, 3-4 says, His divine power has granted us all things, that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he's granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. So as your sinful desires get poured out on the people around you, the Lord is actually sanctifying you and causing those to have less impact on the people around you. But conflict's also a a context where we reflect the image of God. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says that believers are to imitate God and to walk in love. So when we love one another, when we restore relationship with one another, we are demonstrating God's image in us as he pursued and restores us. But conflict's also a place where we can serve one another. We can serve one another, and we can be an encouraging example to their faith as we live in integrity and dignity. Conflict allows us also to experience and rest in God's providential care for us, to lay the areas where we are struggling at his feet and to trust him for that, whether it's for endurance or it's for maturity, or it's the sin in us that is exposed to others. As we develop in holiness and walk toward righteousness in our relationships with one another, we are resting in God's care and seeing how that gets worked out to the people around us. Peacemaking is critical for our testimony as Christians, it's critical. If we just go around with a litter of broken relationships behind us, people are not able to see our God who has brought peace to us through his Son. It's crucial to our testimony as Christians. We serve as ambassadors for the name of Christ. Uh, I've had some time to spend in England and on occasion have gone to some village festivals. And whenever the mayor shows up at the village festival, or if you go to an embassy function um, somewhere around the world and you you meet the British ambassador, uh, both of those those figureheads are wearing a sash, usually with a really cool brooch that says, I'm an ambassador, or I'm the mayor. Even these little tiny towns have this regalia that's just fabulous. Um, What would our lives look like if we somehow wore an ambassador's sash when we went to H-E-B to pick up the groceries? And people knew, oh, the person who wears that sash, they're an ambassador of the king of kings. That's what the scriptures is telling us about who we are and how we are to function in the world. And so we are ambassadors for Christ. Making him known in Philippians chapter four verses two to two to nine, Paul is talking about some of his fellow workers in the church in Philippi, Yodia and Syntyche. Great names for women. I bet there's not a single one of you named after them. But he says to them, "You're my you're my dear fellow workers, but I urge you work together in harmony." Like, like the musicians up here, right? So ably bringing harmony. you don't want that discord when, when you're doing music, whether you're plugged in or not, right? <laughs> but Paul's saying, "Look, you, you're in discord. That's not a pretty sound. Walk together in harmony so that you demonstrate the work of God in your lives. Agree together. What's your poke in the eye? How has it impacted your walk? How has it impacted other people around you? Does it obscure the gospel that you say that you believe? We all have them, right? We all have that poke in the eye. The conflict tends to view issues horizontally. We don't always think about the vertical Um, the vertical dimensions of with our God. But the source of conflict originates not in horizontal or external circumstances. They just demonstrate what's already in the internal desire of the heart. That passage we read in James earlier says that we are drawn away by our desires and those desires lead to sin and sin leads to death well, what are some of the sources of that conflict? You have some blanks you can fill in there. I didn't fill them in for you because these sources of conflict are different for each of us, right? You may answer things like, I would like to have a peaceful, quiet Saturday morning. What's, what's the fill in the blank there for you? I would like to, to be recognized as someone who is intelligent and a clearer thinker. And they're not giving me the time of day. What kind of demand do you have? I must have. What is it that you need, you think, to live at peace with one another? What kind of disappointments come to you? You didn't give me the time that I wanted You didn't give me a present that was uh, worthy of this anniversary. What kind of conflict comes up? Sometimes we deduce some of these things. You did not give me a nice present for our anniversary, therefore you don't love me. My My deduction is you really don't care. Maybe not. Maybe he's just a bad gift giver. Those people exist, right? Sometimes we bring our own version of condemnation or damnation to someone. You didn't give me this, therefore I will. What's your threat? I'm going to talk about you, and I'm going to show others just how lousy you are. We assume things about people, right? Assumption's the lowest form of knowledge. We assume things, and we assign motives to people that motives didn't even exist. Recently, I, uh, I had a conversation with one of our assistants, and I had sent her an email uh, a couple weeks before, and I had asked her, I said, would it be possible, is this something we can do, would it be possible for us to um, Make this change on the calendars. It would save me all kinds of time, and probably a few other people along the way. And she became a little distant after that. And so I thought, well, she's just busy. It's not. It's not a big deal. So we had a meeting about something else, and and she said, hey, can I can I bring something up to you? And I said, sure, absolutely. I mean, I teach this to my staff too, right? <laughs> Um, she said, I, um, I don't like it when you tell me to do things. And I'm like, whoa, uh, you don't work for me. I, I didn't tell you, when did I tell you to do something? And so I said, can you give me an example of a time that you felt like I did that? And so she said, yeah, when you wrote this email, I said, can we go back and look at that email? And so I said, is it possible that you made an assumption that I was telling you to do this when I was asking, is this something we could do? And she looked a little sheepish, and she says, yeah, I thought you were telling me you were, you were acting like my boss. I'm like, no, I was just asking, is this something that would be possible? And so she made a quick assumption, but it colored our whole engagement for weeks, right? And so we had to work through that. How do we believe the best about one another in situations like that, that's, that's nothing, right? An email about a calendar is nothing. But we do this in bigger ways also with family members, with people in our church, with husbands or boyfriends or fiancés, or mother-in-laws, right? Some of you just raised your eyebrows. Nobody told me nothing. I'm just coming in blind here, okay? So if the shoe fits, (laughs) heels or not, put it on. (laughs) The capacity to redirect our our desires vertically towards glorifying God and away from the personal horizontal viewpoint is a gift of God's grace. Grace. So, when we get into situations of conflict, we want to ask first how do we look heavenward and see what God is doing rather than look to one another and see what each other seem to be doing toward us? What does it look like to come, as James chapter 4 talks about, to come to each other with humility, with compassion? to recognize that God has built in us a new heart. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 13 says, put on this heart, one of compassion, of kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearing and forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. And so as we think about conflict and how it impacts us. And as we think about what does it look like for us to actually look vertically to God, how is he engaging with us? We start to to have to ask the questions of we're, we're gazing upward, we're glorifying God in conflict, but how do we respond to one another? Now, each of you has a typical response to conflict. Each of you has a typical response to conflict. When someone, shall we say, crosses you, are you the person who shrinks back and just goes silent? Or are you the person who comes out swinging? Each of you tends more one way or the other on this, right? So, if you're a fleer, you, you move back, raise your hand. Fleers, raise your hand. Okay, ladies, looking, oh, keep those hands up. Da, 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 put them put up, put them up. Fleers, okay. Fighters, yeah, I didn't even have to ask you to raise your hands, right? <laughs> now, so, <laughs> you wanted to. <laughs> you didn't raise your hands. You can turn to someone on either side of you probably and ask am I a fleer or a fighter and they'll be able to tell you <laughs> what that actually looks like. But what we want to do is we want to make sure that we recognize in ourselves how we respond to that. Right? How do we respond to conflict? Knowledge about how you engage with conflict is actually super helpful, right? It doesn't solve the issues that you may have in your heart. It doesn't solve the conflict. But if you recognize that you start to bristle and you're like, oh, man, I'm going after them. Like, oh, wait a second. Wait a second. That may not be the right response. I may need to take a step back. And some of you are like, I'm never going to talk to that person ever again, right? (laughs) Right? You need to recognize that in yourself because there's that opportunity to go, okay, it may be that I need to come to that person. I need to actually go to that person because here's the deal. Christ has commanded us to actually engage with one another in a situation of conflict. And he says it doesn't really matter if you're the one offending or if you've been the one offended, go to that person. We're going to talk about how that looks as you go, but just a couple of verses for you. The book of Matthew, chapter 5. Jesus is in the Sermon on the Mount giving giving his, his address to the disciples, and he says to them, If you're giving your gift at the altar and there you're in the temple with your sheep or turtle dove and there remember that someone has something against you, that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and give your gift at the altar. Jesus is telling us that being reconciled to one another is actually more important of an act of worship than this formal offering of this lamb or the turtle dove would be. But then he says later in Matthew 19, if you see your brother in sin, go to him. First, just you and your brother and have that conversation. And if he hears you, you've won your brother. That's a wonderful thing. If he doesn't hear you, then take someone else and go and speak with him. And if he doesn't listen to the two of you after repeated attempts, go and find the church and actually bring the church into it. So what you see in front of you is some of the responses that we have as we engage with people, whether they've sinned against us or we've sinned against them you see that there are escape responses. That's the people who flee away. They hide and don't talk. They don't ever bring up difficult topics. On the very far end of the escape response is suicide. On the other side is the, the, the um, fighting responses. And on the far, far end of that is murder. I was traveling one time with a couple of my colleagues internationally, this was a long time ago at a different organization, and one of my colleagues was not handling the travel rigors very well. And there was a point where I was curled up in the fetal position behind a um, washer and dryer combo in Taiwan whispering to my boss, Can you make him come home? I can't stand it. I'm going to kill him. And my boss said, I'll pray for you. (laughs) But don't kill him. We don't know what the international law is about these things. (laughs) And so later that day, I found myself with his passport in my hand as we were going through passport control. And I went through first. And I had a choice garbage can, or continue the trip and hand it to him. And I chose, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the better choice. But I was at the point of murder, okay? So was he. It was a a dangerous situation. Some of you are laughing because you know who it was. (laughs) Okay, well, murder... (laughs) Murder and suicide, right? The the extreme ends. I've given you in your notes in the next. Um, oh yeah, on page whatever page it is, the second page of your notes. You have what's called the slippery slope, slippery slope, and you can see that there are peacemaking responses on top, and that there's the escape responses and the attack responses that are available to you. This material is coming from Ken Sandy, uh, who is a lawyer. And he's a lawyer who was um, dealing with church litigation issues. And so he got really tired of seeing Christians fight. And he wrote a book called The Peacemaker. Some of you have read it. It's a big, thick, fatty book. And it's pretty technical. It involves many of these concepts. But then he's boiled it down into a shorter version uh, just called Resolving Everyday Conflict. And we give it to all of our staff. And when there's an issue of conflict among our staff, we pull that book out, and we go, okay, where, where are we tripping up here? What do we need to be thinking about? How do we demonstrate how God has saved us and is bringing us to relationship with one another because he's brought us to relationship with himself? And so this material here also can be found on rw360.org. .org yes rw stands for relational wisdom which is what ken sandy has called this peacemaker materi- material i just uh, was on the phone with him a couple of days ago and we were talking about how he uses this material within organizations that are not christian at chf we can pull out our bibles in the middle of a middle of a meeting right and and we can read the scripture together and we could talk about jesus words But if you work for, say, a mining company, or for an office company, and you're looking for resources to help your colleagues actually work together, how do these principles apply? Well, Ken's taken these materials and also put them into what he calls value-based training. And so you can actually find this material on his website um, with the biblical principles but without the biblical references. And so if any of you are in positions where you're looking for materials, I would recommend this to you. Really good video series as well as literature to use. But this material here is really taken from the scriptures. We, we can call them values, but, but Ken knows where the, where the content comes from. And it's been helpful to actually think through the responses that we find. So on the left-hand side there of that slippery slope, we find that um, people commonly will go, uh, when, they're, when they're not having good peacemaking responses, these are the ways that they will flee away from conflict. Um, suicide, as I mentioned before, like Judas, right? That was an incredible uh, betrayal of Christ. And rather than face that, humble himself, he chose death. Flight is another one of those, um, escaping, running, running away from, uh, from these difficulties. It may take the form of ending a friendship or quitting a job or filing for divorce or leaving a church. Those are all ways that we flee away. And it may be a legitimate response in an extreme situation. Maybe there's an issue of abuse. Running away from abuse can be actually the best and most godly choice. But in some cases, it only postpones the proper solution of the problem. Uh, we actually have a whole section of scriptures that talks about people who are fleeing from difficult situations, and that's the situation of David and Saul. Remember king of Israel? Anointed king. Uh, David, who was going to take over after Saul, and Saul had this flashpoint temper where he tried to kill not only David but also his own son at one point and he chases him through the caves of Israel for 10 years David has to flee from the wrath of Saul sometimes that's the best that's the best option but you never make that choice in a vacuum you're always making it in cooperation with the guidance that the Lord has given you sometimes there's just denial of a problem Right, you've got that rug, and the rug has a mound because you've been sweeping stuff under it from years, for years. Right, where you deny that there's any kind of problem that exists, but denial—it um, really only brings a temporary relief and can usually make matters worse. Think about Eli, the story in in First um, uh, Samuel two of Eli. He had these sons who were ungodly and they were acting in ways that were unbecoming to the worship of of God in the temple. And Eli knew it, but he just kind of was in denial and he didn't do anything about it. And it ended up with them going to battle, taking the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord's Ark, taking it into battle and they were killed. Denying the problem didn't actually help them to be righteous in the situation Well, on the other side of that, we've got those attack responses, right? And we talked about the murder already, uh, that sometimes that murder is in our hearts. And in extreme cases, people may seem so desperate to win a dispute that they're willing to kill those who oppose them. But most people are not really going to go to that direction. But we're willing to murder people in our hearts. And Jesus and in Matthew chapter 5, tells us that that's basically the same thing in the eyes of the Lord, where we harbor anger and contempt in our hearts towards others. But there's a couple of other tack responses here. Litigation is one of those, where we may go after someone. Maybe it's a car accident, uh, and we know that it's our fault, but it may look like it was the other person's fault, and we find a lawyer who's willing to go after that money even though it shouldn't rightfully be ours, that could be a response where we attack someone through litigation. Lawsuits almost always irreparably damage relationships. And when they're between believers, they diminish our Christian witness and often fail to bring the justice that we think we want to see. This is why Christians are commanded in Matthew chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians 6 to actually make every effort to settle our differences within the church rather than in civil courts. But the third attack response there, the one that isn't quite as, uh, as vigorous as murder or lawsuit, is assault. And some people may try to overcome an opponent by using various forms of force or intimidation, such as verbal attacks. This could be gossip or slander. Uh, maybe physical violence or an attempt to, di- to damage a person financially or professionally. And such conduct, conduct almost always just escalates the issue. So that's the two extremes of this, but what does it look like for us to actually have some differences in our peacemaking responses? It doesn't always look like, I go to the person, I say, you were wrong, you offended me, he says, I'm sorry, and we're done. It doesn't always look like that. Sometimes we need others to help us in the process, and so at the top of the responses there, of that slippery slope, you begin to see some of the peacemaking responses. There are personal peacemaking responses that get carried out in private between people. Uh, the first of those is overlooking an offense, and we're gonna be looking at this a little bit more later, but what does it look like for a dispute that's rather insignificant, but that should be overlooked quietly and de- deliberately? Proverbs 19:11 tells us, a man's wisdom gives him patience It is his glory to overlook an offense. Overlooking an offense is a form of forgiveness. And it involves a deliberate decision not to talk about it, not to dwell on it, and not to let it grow in pent-up bitterness. And so we'll talk about this a little bit more later, because that's where most of us actually live, right? Um, I I have this, this thing where a church that I attended for a while, um, it seemed like as a single woman, I really didn't have a place. And it was always magnified on Sunday mornings when I would meet someone new. And after they asked what my name was or they gave me their name, the next question was always, what does your husband do? I'm like, wait, what? I'm sorry, that's your next question? I'm saying this to you. I didn't say this to them. (laughs) But that, to me, is a communication that I really don't matter to you. You just want to put me into some framework that involves how I matter to you and to the church based on who my husband is. And so that, to me, is really sad because it says you don't really think about me at all. You just want to know who my husband is. I don't have one. There is no way, ladies, to answer that question without offending somebody or making them feel awkward for having asked the question. I don't know. I haven't met him yet. (laughs) I don't know. My dad didn't do his job. You know? So, because usually that just shuts down the conversation, right? It's an opportunity for me to try to laugh it off a little bit and not see it as an offense, although, frankly... It's sad to me that that's the response I get sometimes. So overlooking an offense, it's glory to overlook an offense, and we'll talk about this more. Reconciliation is another one of these personal responses. If an offense is too serious to overlook or has damaged our relationship, we need to, to resolve personal and relational issues through confession, loving correction, forgiveness, forgiveness. As Jesus said in Matthew 5, if your brother has something against you, go to him and be reconciled. Galatians chapter 1, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him. Gently, gently. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Colossians 3, 13. Go to that person. And again, we get... We get process for how that looks. In our culture, actually in any culture in the world, going to someone who has sinned against you or that you have sinned against is hard. And yet the scripture says, if they listen to you, you've won your brother. And don't we want that, right? Don't we want to see the unity of Yodia and Syntyche walking together in harmony? That's what we want. So reconciliation. And then sometimes we can't, we can't work it out ourselves. We need to help somebody else come in and help us through negotiation. And that can be if we've resolved maybe relational issues, but we, we still need to work through the material issues. Uh, I, was, I was on a plane one time, and as I was walking down the aisle, I stepped on a kid's Walkman. It was a long time ago. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's not Spotify it's actually a device on which people used to put a disc and listen to music so I stepped on this kid's Walkman and I broke it and he came unglued on me and I apologized but that wasn't going to be enough so I actually had to offer to pay him to resolve that conflict to, to make restitution for the damage I had caused and sometimes we need to do this with each other uh, I, hit a, I hit a boss's car one time and he was ang- he said oh it's no problem he was, it's no problem and for a year he was angry about it I had paid him I'd taken care of it uh, wrote him a check to pay for the parts and got it fixed and all that and a year later he was mad about something else and he brought it up to me and then there was that time that you hit my car I'm like whoa 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 whoa! slow your roll here dude I didn't say that to him I'm saying it to you But sometimes there is restitution that needs to be made for money or property. or Sometimes it's even a public apology for how you've engaged with someone else, maybe in a public setting. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of each other. And if we can't resolve these disputes between ourselves, then we get into the public or assisted peacemaking. And this is looking for help from other people to help us. Maybe it's through mediation, where if two people can't reach an, ag- an agreement in private, they ask someone else who's more objective to come in and to meet with them and help to work through this. Mediators will ask questions and give advice, and they rarely have the authority to actually force you to accept a solution But they may help ask questions that will actually bring more clarity to what's going on in the situation. But then there's arbitration. And this would be when you have an opponent who can't come to a voluntary agreement on a material issue of maybe restitution that needs to be made. You can appoint one or more arbitrators to actually listen to your case and help you work through it and then render, render a binding decision to get the issue settled. 1 Corinthians 6.4 says, If you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. People in the church can help you walk through these things. And then there's the issue of accountability. If a person who professes to be a Christian refuses to be reconciled and do what is right, Jesus commands his or her church members, church leaders, to formally intervene, to hold him or her accountable to scripture and promote repentance and justice and forgiveness. The escape responses postpone proper solutions. The attack responses damage relationships and run in too quickly sometimes, make matters worse. So if you're trying to deal with this conflict, which of the first of the three responses would be most helpful to you to begin to learn to to practice more? The overlooking, the discussion, or the conflict, right? Conflict happens. Little girls stick their fingers in each other's eyes, and we're called to deal with it. Now, what you have here at the end of your notes is actually some questions that you can, uh, you can use for reflection. If you've got a situation you're working through, um, these are questions that will help you kind of reflect how do you respond. Maybe you were one, somebody that didn't raise your hand and you say, no, I'm, I'm an attacker or I, I, I don't know if I'm an attacker or a fleer. And so these, these can be questions that can help you work through that. Uh, there's also some questions for additional uh, research in the scriptures of how has God dealt with you? Now, I have a couple more minutes, and the next section is too weighty for us to do in one hour, so I'm just going to keep going for the rest of this session, and we're going to dip into the first part of session three. So turn the page to session three, peacemaking and women part two. So, the first thing we're doing with conflict is we're looking upward. We're gazing upward and we're saying, How do we glorify God in conflict? The second thing that we need to do is we need to look inward and own our part of the conflict. We've got to own our part of the conflict. So, looking inward. So, the first thing that would be helpful for us is to recognize that. We have a contribution to the conflict. One of the most challenging principles of peacemaking is set forth by Jesus again in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus says this, you hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Right? Let me read that passage to you. So this is from Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 to 5. Judge not... That you be not judged. Now, wait a second. I was just talking with a lady this week about the gospel. And she said, oh, well, the Bible tells us not to judge. Seems like it here. But let's keep reading. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you it doesn't say don't judge it just says has a have a just judgment in the process why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye or how can you say to your brother let me take the speck out of your eye but all the while there's a log in your own eye you hypocrite First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Sometimes we play the percentage game when it comes to a conflict. Yeah, I'm in conflict with her. But it's only like really 3% me. (laughs) She's got 97, maybe 98.5% of the responsibility on this. What we need to do is we need to recognize that even if we only hold 1% of the conflict, we hold 1% of the conflict. We are responsible. We need to look inward and see how it is that we contribute to this conflict. And so the first thing that we need to recognize is that there are sinful attitudes that we engage with and that we perpetrate on other people. Maybe it's demanding desires. It's having unrealistic expectations for relationships. I, I know as a, as a single woman, um, sometimes families would invite me into their home. And I see this with, with my younger colleagues at times too, where there's expectations for what that time is going to look like oh, I'm going to sit across the kitchen table with this older mentor and, you know, her children are going to be playing quietly at her feet and she's going to make me a cup of tea and we're going to sit and drink tea and talk about life for hours. doesn't happen that way, right? I could have unrealistic expectations for what that time is going to look like. Usually it looks like, hey, you know where the Keurig is. Can you change the baby's diaper while you're here? You know, Right, and so having realistic expectations for what life on life looks like, for those of us who are single and families, right? We have to be, we have to recognize we can be demanding in unrealistic ways with one another. We can also have evil thoughts and judgments against people where we're making assumptions for what that, how we actually are engaging with one another. There also can be sinful words that take place. Sometimes it's thoughtless, just something that pops out of your mouth. You didn't mean to say it, but it came out because it was in there, right? Um, But it could be harsher, reckless words. Uh, I I know it's hard for you to imagine. I have a very strong sarcastic bent (laughs) in my life. And when I was in college, I found myself... About every day, having to go to a friend and say, I'm so sorry. I was trying to be clever. I was going for the cheap laugh, and I know I hurt you. And I heard myself make that repentance enough times, it's like, oh, this is a significant issue in my life. And so that sarcasm had to get pressed down, and I have to, to leave that before the Lord Uh, Shannon asked me this morning when she picked me up, how'd you sleep? I rarely sleep sleep well before one of these things. And I think the Lord wants me to be a little more tired standing up here so that you don't get the full blunt (laughs) of my rested sarcasm. I think it's actually protective for both of us that that's the case. But sometimes we've got these harsher, reckless words that take place. Sometimes there's grumbling and complaining. Anybody? Anybody want to confess to this right now? Any grumblers? Uh, I just picked up a great book, The Grumbler's Guide to Thanksgiving. I was like, oh, yes! I had people over for dinner, and it was laying on the counter, and I th- as they were coming up the stairs, I'm like, oh, let's put that away. I don't want them to see that and start asking questions about the state of my heart. Right but we don't want to grumble and complain because the situation that we're in is where the Lord has placed us and he has told us that he's placed us in that position so that we can shine like the stars of the heaven. Sometimes it's words that are, ho- that are spoken or words that are withheld. Sometimes we know that our words can relieve a burden from someone and we withhold those words. Sometimes it's falsehood, lies that we tell ourselves, we tell about one another. Sometimes it's gossip or slander. Sometimes our contribution to personal conflict is actually our sinful actions against one another, not keeping our word, maybe not respecting authority, or not treating others as we would want to be treated. And so as we recognize our personal conflict, we need to move beyond what happened to why it happened. And so when we come back in the next section, that's where we're going to pick up. We're going to pick up with moving, with number two, moving beyond what happened to why it happened. We're going to talk about overlooking. We're going to talk about what forgiveness is and is not And so I look forward to opening uh, some scripture with you and these, these ideas that have been so helpful to me over the years. So let me pray, and then we'll close this session. Father, thank you for the wisdom that you have given us in your word. Lord, help us to apply it in a way that makes you look beautiful to the watching world. That's in your son's name that I pray. Amen.